And as we navigate now into Revelation chapter 4, we're moving from one section to the next section where John is immediately raptured, transported, translated from earth to heaven. Immediately, chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 have been the letters to the church, and now everything changes. And the reason why this is so important is as Adam was sharing yesterday about being the light and the salt and doing things for God, his message primarily was on living a life that focused on two realities, the broken and the beautiful. The beautiful is pretty easy. It's easy to wake up and see beautiful things and be excited about it and be a believer and respond. And, you know, when the coffee's hot and super strong and, you know, the sun is shining and the power's on, those are good days. And then there's other days where there's brokenness, okay, where there's absolute destruction. And Adam's traveled the world. He's seen a lot of brokenness. And the message to the church was to respond to both as worship and service is unto the Lord. To not just live your own life, but instead to be engaged and to bear the burdens of others. And as we're studying now chapter 4, verse 1, and I was listening to Adam teach, my my heart was beating. Because here's what's going to happen, church. In the moment, and in a twinkling of an eye, All of us are going to be transformed. Okay, It's going to happen. This race we're running right now, this journey we're on, this thing called faith, it will be over. Boom! Just like that. Faster than the power came back on. And everything will be transformed. Until then, we're in the church age. Until then, we have things to do, opportunities. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, we just studied it, that God has set before us an open door. There are things to do if you're the Philadelphia church. He also warns us and says, if you're the Laodicean church, there's doors that are open, but sometimes Jesus is on the outside knocking, wanting to get in. We've been rich and have become wealthy, and we got everything, and we think we're fine, and Jesus says, no, you're not. You're lukewarm, and that is the warning. And as I put this sermon together and see the the sequential sequence, as we study chapter 1, he sees Jesus And as we study chapters 2 and 3, he informs the churches, seven of them in totality. Each church got a letter. Each church had some correction. Each church needed to adjust. Each church needed to man up. And then finally in chapter 4, verse 1, boom, the church is raptured. Let's read it together, and then I'll pray. Before I read it, i got to warn you guys. Okay, as we get now, chapter 1, 2, and 3 behind us, and chapter 4 into the future, things get straight up weird in the book of Revelation. Have you read the book of Revelation before? Man, you got to have a helmet on, face mask. you got to be ready. Let me just tell you something right now. As John records what he sees in heaven and then what unfolds on earth, he's doing so with a heavenly, should I say, reality, but an earthly perspective, okay? How many of you guys think you know what heaven looks like? Like it's a little bit better than earth. It's just like, it's like earth, but way better. You guys think that's true? Like It's just like earth, but man, it's way better, okay? Let me tell you how it really is. Genesis chapter 3, God said everything on the earth is cursed now. This isn't how it's supposed to be. It's not Genesis 1, it's not Genesis 2, it's not the Garden of Eden. Everything is cursed now on earth. And so when John got to heaven and saw what he sees, he's only able to use earthly descriptions to describe what he saw in heaven. He's only able to pull upon and pull from what he's experienced down here, which is a cursed world. Now, it's interesting to me because I actually like earth. Don't you guys, are you guys having a good time? Like, it's pretty cool, right? You ever been to the Grand Canyon? Man, it is crazy. You ever been to the Amazon rainforest? Me neither, but I saw pictures. It's crazy. 
Mariana Trench, a seven-mile deep trench in the middle of the ocean. I mean, the oceans are fantastic in the universe. There's so much out there and so much cool stuff to explore. And God says, oh, yeah, all that's cursed. It's cursed. Wait, wait. You mean it's inferior? You mean it's falling apart? It's not even, not even spectacular compared to the way it should have been? C- could it even be? Now, those of you who are on the flip side of the Grand Canyon, the flip side of the Amazon rainforest, and the flip side of the Mariana Trench, and you are living in a curse, your body's falling apart, things didn't go well for you, you have suffered, while those beauties do exist, you would easily agree, oh no, this world is cursed. Trust me, I bleed daily, I suffer deeply, I have great loss in my life right now. And so when John leaves earth and goes to heaven and what he sees, he comes down, and dare I say it this way, he struggles then to convey what he saw, only being able to use earthly language. And so when he says, I saw a throne and one sitting on the throne like a jasper and like a sardius stone, and there was a rainbow around his throne, like an emerald coming out of the bottom, like, uh, he's using earthly terms to describe heavenly realities. And so what we get to do is study it out and say, Lord, may it impact our earthly reality with what John saw. So I'm going to read it to you guys right now. You guys ready for this? If you're ready, say yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Okay. Fire it up. Here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 4. After these things. I'm going to keep reading, but I just want you to feel that. That's metatauta in the Greek. After, the, after what things? After the church, after Laodicea and Philadelphia and Sardis and Pergamos and Thyatira and Smyrna and Ephesus. After these things, after the church age is over, after the last Gentile becomes a believer, after the fullness of the Gentiles has happened, after the last person, you know there's one person on planet earth that when they decide to give their life over to Jesus Christ, boom, the rapture is going to happen. If you're here today, would you please make up your mind? Do us all a favor. For real. I'll explain that in just a minute because somebody out there doesn't believe me. After these things, verse 1, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne which are there and seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion. And the second living creature was like a calf. And the third living creature had the face of like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Amen and amen. Would you pray with me, Father, in Jesus' name now as we read John's experience at what would be prophetical in nature at the end of the church age after this. What we will see when we are raptured when we die and are separated from this earth and joined into heaven. Lord, as we study it now, would you open up our hearts and minds and understanding to live those lives that you want us to live, to be those Christians you want us to be. Lord, I echo the prayer from earlier. Make us a mature people, a people that aren't scandalized by so many little and lesser things. Lord, make us a people, a church like these 24 elders that are focused on you, that are worshiping you day and night, knowing that this is what it will be like when we get to heaven. And so right now, Holy Spirit, would you come upon us and change us and renew our focus? Shake us up in those areas where we need, Lord, to give you our attention. We pray for your blessing now. Bless the kids, Lord, in their classes and bless the time that we have left together here. We thank you for all you've done. Do more, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. I'll tell you what. It says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open. He ends verse 1 saying, These things which must take place after this. He uses that word metatauta twice in one verse. Why does he do it twice in one verse? I suggest to you it's because he doesn't want us to miss it. Because you see in verse 19 of chapter 1, that same word is used, metatauta. When John is given the divine outline of the book of Revelation, write the things you have seen, that is Jesus Christ. Write the things which are, that is the church, chapters 2 and 3. And write the things that shall happen, metatauta. Verse 19 of chapter 1. Write the things that will happen after this in order that we wouldn't miss it. You ever missed anything before in your life? Man, you ever missed a flight before? Talk about embarrassing and costly. You ever missed an appointment? You just look at your phone like, I'm supposed to be somewhere. You know, you miss stuff. Here's what I don't want you to miss. And here's what I don't think God wants us to miss. He doesn't want you to miss your life. He doesn't want you to miss your purpose. What you're doing here. Did you know that your life will soon end and you will be immediately translated into heaven? And you won't get any more opportunities. There won't be any more open doors. There won't be any more options for you to go minister to people or to stand for Jesus. It's over. And then you get to stand with God forever and enjoy, listen, the life you did live. Okay, if you're living your life right now, just sit there and stare at me. All right, good, good, good. Making sure everyone's on the same page. We're living our lives right now. You want to know what Moses said about his life right before he died? Psalm 90. Write it down and read it later. Psalm 90, Moses said this. He said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. See, he knew that it's easy to waste days, easy to waste your life. Moses said, Lord, mess with me every once in a while. Don't let me forget, lest I waste my days. We had a memorial here on Thursday. Ronnie Harp died last Saturday in a tragic accident. She went to church here, died at 40 years of age, leaves behind her three kids and her entire family. Tragic. She's with Jesus. It's tragic for us. And as we celebrated her life and mourned our loss and navigate our steps forward, she didn't plan on dying Saturday night. I don't plan my death, but there is a day. 
The Bible says when you take your first breath, God has already ordered your last breath. As a matter of fact, you don't have to worry about your last breath. Anybody worried about dying? Stop it. You don't got to worry about that. You know what you need to worry about? Living. Don't worry about when you're going to die. You don't have anything to do with it, okay? What you have to do with how you live your life daily. Man, sometimes I get tired and sometimes I just want the days I live to be more normal and less exciting and less to do. I just want the days just to kind of blend in and become, listen, that is a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says you and I, while we're in the land of the living, are to be focused on God and his kingdom and what he's doing. One of my favorite psalms, if not, no, it's one of my favorite. I can't tell you my favorite psalm right now, but one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 27. And in verses 13 and 14, the Bible says this, Had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I would have lost heart. I would have lost heart. The psalmist says, but I believe God's doing stuff right now in my life, that God's in control and on the throne. And as we study chapter 1 through 3, we see all these letters to the churches, and then instantaneously, it's over. It's over. The church at Ephesus got their letter. They got tightened up. The church at Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, the church at Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, all of them got their letters from Jesus and knew what he was going to do through their lives if they would let him, but it's going to end in the rapture. Now look at verse 1. It says, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. This again is a picture of the rapture. There's a couple different opinions about the rapture. This voice like a trumpet is the same voice we saw in chapter one, which is Jesus Christ. And the voice of a trumpet, Jesus Christ will say to the church, come up here. And there'll be that day, those three beautiful words, come up here. Matter of fact, I couldn't sleep last night. I'm not sure what was going on. I just couldn't sleep. I just kept praying, Lord, do it now. You're going to do it now. I'm ready. Take me home. Take us home. May it be right now. Let me just talk to you about the rapture because this is important. Uh, we are a rapture uh, church, and uh, we believe in the rapture doctrine. Here's why you might have a couple problems with the rapture or the idea of the rapture. It's because the word rapture is not in the Bible anywhere, okay? And that's kind of a stumbling block for some people. It's a Latin word. It means raptus is where we get it from, and it comes from the Greek word harpazo, which is in the scriptures over and over and over, and literally means to be snatched away and to be taken off the earth and put somewhere else, okay, which is the rapture. So if you ever heard somebody say, the rapture's not even in the Bible, say, well, it's a Latin word from a Greek word from a real reality that did happen. As a matter of fact, Paul, when he was translated from earth to heaven when he died in the book of Acts, they killed him one day and he got to go to heaven. 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about it and he uses that word harpazo. He says, I was harpazoed into heaven. Okay, raptured. In the book of Acts, chapter 8, he, uh, Philip baptizes an Ethiopian eunuch, and then he comes up out of the water, and Philip is harpazoed. He's translated away. It's the same Greek word. He's raptured away, and he's dropped off at Azotus, and he keeps preaching the gospel. It literally means to be snatched away and to be taken somewhere else. Now, while John is writing this and experiencing this, you guys know that Peter's dead. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul is dead. He had his head cut off. Bartholomew and James and all the other apostles are all dead. They've all been brutally murdered, cut in half, sawn the long way, pushed off uh, the temple. Uh, some of them were buried alive, all beaten to death, filleted open. Philip, all these guys suffered tremendous deaths. And yet Paul, before he died, he wrote about the rapture. I'm going to read to you out of 1 Thessalonians 4. I read this on Thursday at, at Ronnie's memorial. 1 Thessalonians 4.17, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
come up here. I added that part. With the voice of an arch, archangel and with the trumpet of God, just like we saw in Revelation 4. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him. Harpazo, raptured, snatched away in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Look at verse 1 again. After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. In the first voice which I heard, like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place, meta tauta, after this. I like this picture. Because John hears this voice, he looks up, and he sees an open door. If you're following along with our study of Revelation, you've seen three doors recently. Jesus said in the church to Philadelphia, I've set before you an open door of opportunity. I've opened the door. I open doors that no one opens and I close doors that no one can close. He went on to the Philadelphian church in chapter 3 verse 20 says, I'm on the outside of the door knocking. If anybody opens the door to me, I'll come in and dine with him. And here the Bible says there's an open door into heaven. Did you know that if you go through the open door of opportunity or when Jesus knocks on the door of your heart and you let him in, guess what he's going to do for you? He's going to open up the doors of heaven and he's going to invite you into his kingdom. Okay, that's pretty good news. Just so you guys know, what are you doing here? What's your life all about? There's open doors of opportunity right now. Those doors will be closed one day. One day you will go through that door and enter into heaven and everything you've had the opportunity to be a part of on earth will be done. And yet God says to you right now, there's doors that are open for you right now. The only thing stopping is the rapture. You know the rapture could happen at any minute. I mean like right now. Let's just give it a minute. Darn it. Okay, okay. I'm gonna keep, I thought I was going to have the rest of the day off, but uh, let me give you a couple thoughts here. I don't, I don't want to give you guys uh, too heady of stuff. There's all, man, I read so much to prepare for this, and there's so many things out there. I found myself reading commentaries, and I thought I got raptured, but I just fell asleep is actually what happened, and I woke up, and there I was. I'm not going to do that to you guys. There are three main rapture stances. There are actually five. I'm only going to give you three. Pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation rapturous. Every real Christian at all believes in some sort of rapture that Jesus will take us away, because I just read to you First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, we're gonna, it says it's going to happen. When it's going to happen, that's up to the Lord, okay? It's not even your problem. I believe, though, if you study the book of Revelation sequentially as it is, chapter 1 leads to chapter 2, and then chapter 3 and 4, 5 and 6, and all the way through, it's just the way it is. And in chapter 1 through chapter 3, did you know the church is mentioned 19 times? 19 times. Church this, church that, church this, church that, church this, church that, church this. And then in chapter 4... To the very end, you're never going to see the word church again. Because what happens next, the church is raptured into heaven, and on earth is the great tribulation period. And you know who's not there during the great tribulation period? The church. They're not there. If they were there, you would see them in chapter 6, maybe chapter 9, maybe chapter 12, 15, 16, anywhere in there. You do not see the church ever again in the book of Revelation until the last chapter where Jesus signs off and says, by the way, this whole book was written to the church, okay? In the tribulation period, there's no evidence of the church on earth because the church is in heaven. Let me give you one proof text, and there are dozens. Let me give you one out of Revelation since we're there. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. It says, because you've kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you. From the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia, 
You who are faithful, who love me, I'm going to protect you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole earth. Okay, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of verses that talk about God's favor, listen, towards the elect, towards the church, that he will preserve them from the wrath of God to come. Let me make sure you understand a few things if you're tracking with me at all. There is a difference between the great tribulation, okay, and tribulation. Anybody been through tribulation before? Okay. It's called marriage. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. My wife's back there. I'm just kidding. That's not even funny. You guys laughed at that? Sheesh. Y'all need to check your heart. Check your heart. We've all been through some suffering. Things aren't easy. They're not easy for Christians. They're not easy for non-Christians. Let me tell you something, though. Revelation chapter 6 through 19, when the four horsemen, the apocalypse, are released, and the seals are broken open, and things go crazy on earth, okay? That's not normal tribulation. There's a difference. You know what it is? It's the great tribulation, which, listen, is the wrath of God being poured out on a sinful, Christ-rejecting, God-hating world. When you suffer, when I suffer, it's not because God's punishing us. It's because life is broken and things are difficult. If you're a Christian here, Christ has bore your punishment already. Your punishment has been absorbed on the cross of Calvary, and now God only has good things for you, listen, in a broken world. And so when the tribulation is poured out, it's on a different people group. It's on a people group that has thumbed their noses to the Lord and has said, we're going to have it our way. We don't believe in you. We don't need you. And unfortunately, when you don't believe in God and don't need God, that's your eternity. You don't get them and you don't have them. But the church, the church is different. And that's us. And God promises us. So I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. That is that there is a tribulation coming upon the world. This world will be judged. And there are those who before that judgment will be raptured up to be with the king. I believe that that is us because throughout the scriptures, the Bible says that the church of God is not appointed unto wrath. Okay, there are a whole bunch of other different positions. I'll just give you the two most popular. There's also the mid-tribulation rapturist. Those are people that believe that after three and a half years of the tribulation period, the first three and a half peaceful years, before things get hot and heavy, that the Lord will then rapture the church away from the greatest parts of the tribulation. Okay, there are verses to support that and a lot of verses that go against that. Then there's another group of people that actually believe that the church will be here during the entire duration of the tribulation period, getting our heads cut off and dying and being tortured and resisting the mark of the beast and all that's going to be chaos and carnage and we got to go through it and we got to get tough and it's going to be nuts and you got to get a water purifier and a bullet maker, you know, and you got to get all this stuff and, and go through the tribulation Because, and here's their point, is that the church needs to be here in order to witness to the lost, which I I understand that. Did you know during the tribulation, the church will be in heaven, okay? This is my belief, okay? And you're welcome and entitled to your own belief. If you have different beliefs than me, you can email them to me. I'll forward them to my spam folder. (laughs) And if you, you know, have any links or anything or you want, you're entitled to your own opinion, it's fine. You're welcome, more than welcome to be wrong. That's just fine. And um, I'm just messing with you guys. Let me say this, though. If you believe in a mid-tribulation rapture or a post-tribulation rapture, okay, that's fine. Okay, we're still Christians. We're going to heaven. God's, God doesn't care. He's not going to change his opinion or his program based on what I think or you think. But you better pray that I'm right, okay? I'm just saying, like, just pray that I'm right. Pray that, and we just read the book of Revelation. You just read it as it is. Let me tell you what the tribulation is going to be like, and we'll study this out as we get further into it. The church is gone. 
The Bible declares that God is going to send two angels to the earth during the tribulation that are going to go back and forth throughout the whole earth screaming to people to get saved, and people will be getting saved. The Bible says two witnesses will be sent to the earth that can perform miracles. They'll be killed in the streets, and all the world will see them. They'll be resurrected, and people will get saved. The Bible says that there's 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams that get saved, and they lead a revival during the tribulation time. People will be getting saved left and right while the church is in heaven celebrating seven years of honeymoon feast with the lord seven years of tribulation where people will be getting saved by the millions okay tribulation saints there will be tribulation saints that get saved they see they hear the angels they see the witnesses they meet the uh, the missionaries and they'll be saved there'll be a dark time we'll see that that to take the mark of the beast on your right hand or in your forehead if you don't you'll be slain by the antichrist and so no matter what position you have, I'm, I'm going to, let's, let's focus now, based on what we're seeing, chapters 2 through 3, the church, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, I, do it, do it, do it, do it. After these things, immediately, I was in the spirit, and I saw the throne, and there was a jasper stone, and a sardius stone. Jasper is a white stone, perfectly white, perfectly clear. Sardius stone, what he sees, this imagery of the one on the throne, this is a picture of God. This Sardius stone is a deep blood red. I read commentary after commentary, what this means, the breastplates of the right, the, the high priest, and these two stones, what it could mean and all that. Listen, white and red to me speak of Jesus. Blood is deep flowing blood for us that makes us white as snow. And God sitting upon this throne that is encircled with the rainbow. You who know the scriptures know that rainbows are God's gift to us to point to his grace and his promise to never flood the earth again. And then in the book of Hebrews it says, run to God's throne of grace. He sits upon a throne of grace that's encircled with the rainbow because he's good. Did you know the Bible doesn't say run to God's throne of good works? Run to God's throne of intense worship? Run to God's throne of better prayer. See, we're saved by grace, okay? And then we live by grace. Some people think that you get saved by grace and it's amazing and it's a good day. You know what? It doesn't start with grace. It starts with grace. It continues with grace and it ends with grace. And we get to heaven, he's sitting on a throne of grace. It's all grace. When you know what grace does, it changes everything. And here he sits, and there's this emerald hue, this green glow coming from the throne. All these are, John sees it, and he just describes it. Green to me speaks of new life. You get white, you got red, you got green, you got the rainbow. All of this, he says, is for those who go through the open door. Those who let me into their hearts. Now, I'm excited to go to heaven. Are you guys excited to go to heaven? Yeah. Okay, here's the crazy thing. Like, John went there, Paul went there, he was given a thorn in the flesh to humble him. There's books out there you can read about heaven is real, and some people that went to heaven, I, I, just, I wouldn't suggest that necessarily. You don't need a book to tell you heaven's real, we got a book that tells us heaven's real, you know. And people have visions and stuff, and that's fine. Whenever I think about heaven in, in earthly terms, I think of people that have died and gone to heaven, my loved ones are there, I'm excited to see them, you know. It's going to be fun to be reunited. Um, that's what I believe the 24 elders are. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God questions. I'm going to explore the universe. Don't you have some questions you have right now? I, just, well, I can't wait to see how things work. And, man, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I really want to know, you know. And like, Dang, you know. And did Adam have a belly button? Like, you know, was there? Think about it, you know. I mean, I don't know. We're going to explore the universe. We're going to get questions answered. We're going to be reunited with loved ones. Let me just say this, though. 
That's not what's going to make heaven amazing. You know what's going to make heaven amazing? The first thing he sees is the Father on the throne. You see, in Genesis 3, we are separated from our Heavenly Father. Sin entered the world. Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with their father in great fellowship. We don't understand that. There's a brokenness in the familial unit. More than half of the children in our country today will go to bed without a father in their home. There's a, there's a brokenness. We don't get that. And here, when John gets to heaven, he doesn't run up and see Peter and Paul. Hey, where you guys been? You know, reunited with my buddies. They'll be there. First thing he sees is the father. And I just think we need to, like, trip out a little bit. Because since Genesis 3, we've been, we've been separated. And our father's heart is broken. And our hearts are broken. And we've been mismanaged. And everything's decayed. And everything's perverse. And everything's wrong now. And as soon as we get to heaven, everything's going to be answered. And so many cool things. But the most important thing will be restored. And that's our family relationship with our father in heaven. It's all about him. It's all about him. In chapters 4 and 5, the word throne is mentioned 19 times alone. The throne, the throne, the throne. And I'm excited about all the other stuff that's going to happen up there, but we need to spend time saying, Lord, what is it you want me to focus on while on earth? What is it I'm missing down here? What do I need? What, what would I need to compel me to be the church, to be Ephesus, to be Philadelphia, to be those churches? How am I going to live my life right? I don't want to blow it. I don't want to miss it. Look at verse 2. He says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. I like verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit. When the rapture happens, immediately you're going to go in the Spirit. You don't have to collect go. You don't have to get 200 bucks. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You don't have to go to purgatory. Okay, there's no timeouts. No more works. Immediately he was in the Spirit. Let me just ask a question. How many of you guys since becoming a believer have found yourself walking in the flesh a time or two? You ever done fleshly stuff? Okay, like half of you, the rest of you are liars. That's fine. Man, I'm a believer, but I've said some things where it's like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I've thought some things that are downright embarrassing. I've actually done things that are embarrassing since becoming a believer. Just downright foolish. And here, John says, oh yeah, one day, twinkly of an eye in the spirit. All things made new. The old passed away. What a glorious day that's going to be. A glorious day. No purgatory, no, no waiting period. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That is our hope. Here right now we struggle. We beat the flesh into submission. Lest after preaching to others we ourselves become disqualified. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Immediately. We're only going to go through... Uh, four verses today, guys. Don't, don't worry. Look at verse 3. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. Stop, stop right there, eyes up here. Now again, man, there's just so many people out there with speculations about who these elders are and as we get through and the cherubim with the different faces and what it all means and like i said i thought i got raptured a number of times but i just fell asleep is what happened as i was studying and and here these 24 elders people say it must be this group and it must be that group here's my opinion i believe these 24 elders represent the people of god in the old testament there was 12 tribes 
And those 12 tribes were the people of God. In the New Testament, there was 12 apostles. And after the apostles came the people of faith. And I believe in the New Testament, the Old Testament, they're represented here by just the people of God. That when we get to heaven, we will be those elders that are sitting on smaller thrones, robed in white by the righteousness of Christ, with crowns on our heads. And then the Bible shows us at the end of this chapter, those crowns come off our heads and we throw them at the feet of Jesus. Now, let's just be honest. In earthly terms, this sounds kind of weird, okay? When I think of crowns, I think of Burger King. That's what I'm thinking about, you know? Like, I don't know. I don't know what crowns are. Like, you know, is a crown, do they cling? Do they, do they get damaged? You know, I'm throwing a bunch of crowns. Is it a big mess? Does Jesus have a big crown rake? You know, how's it going? And, and then the Bible says in the end of this chapter that this happens day and night, that the creatures are worshiping and the elders fall down and they worship him. It never stops. Now, even in the most amazing worship service, let's say you've been to an amazing worship service, like two hours long, and you're like, dude, this is so good. After three hours, like, this is so good, but for real, I need a break. I'm going to die, and I can't do it. See, that's an earthly reality. We're not going to be limited in heaven. You might think that a forever worship service is going to be a bummer or weird or hard to sustain. Okay, that's because you don't know. It's because you're broken. You're cursed. We don't get it. These guys were worshiping, and it kept getting better and kept getting better and kept getting better. And here's what I want you guys to focus on as we prepare to leave and go our way today. I believe these 24 elders represent the people of God. And I believe their white robes represent the righteousness that is given to them by Jesus Christ. Okay? They're sitting. They're not anxious. They've been given rights to the air with Jesus. Let me read to you a few verses up out of chapter 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Stop right there, eyes up here. I believe this is us. John gets to heaven and he sees what's going on. And these guys are worshiping, these elders. Elder doesn't mean man necessarily. These people are worshiping with these crowns. Now in ancient Rome, when there was a superior king, inferior kings would come to him and they would kneel and take their crowns off and set it at his feet. And that superior king, the head king, would take those crowns and place them back upon the heads of those inferior kings. And what he was essentially saying was, is I now give you your rulership back. You gave it to me. Now you rule, but it's from me to you. And I believe that when we get to heaven, the Bible declares throughout the New Testament that there are going to be crowns we earn here on earth while it's our turn to number our days, lest we make a mistake and miss it. And when we get to heaven, we're going to take those achievements and rewards which we've earned here and give them back to Jesus as worship, because it's all from him anyways. And he's going to take them and give them back to us and allow us to then rule and reign and to live our lives forever and ever because of and based on the way we live down here. Now, this is important that you understand that. Because, again, if you're like me, you just want to go to Burger King and get a crown. That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> what he's talking about is that there are things that we do while on earth that will, listen, listen, that will, listen, there, listen, that will determine what we do in heaven. If you're a Christian, you're going to heaven, Okay. Open door. But there are things that you do here that will determine what you do forever and ever and ever in heaven. You might be super spiritual or overly humble this morning and say, ah, I just want to go to heaven. I don't really care what I do there. And, okay, it's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, no, no. There are things for you to be a part of now that will determine who you are and what you do and what authority you hold in heaven. Let me use a term that most of us will at least understand. In the military, everyone wears a uniform, but not everyone's uniform is the same. There are 
people who've just entered into the military with khaki pants and a khaki hat, no stripes, no stars, no tassels, no bells, no medals, nothing. They're the base level infantrymen, okay? They're in the army, though. They're going to be, they're in the military. And then there are those who have, in the military, climbed the ranks. They have served. They have saved lives. They have done noble and honorable things and lived sacrificially. And they get stars, and they get stripes, and they get medals, and they get tassels. And when people see them coming, doors open up for those people. They have a different hat, a different outfit, different stripes. So true. So too and also true with our lives. Live for Christ. What we do down here counts. As a matter of fact, the scriptures detail six separate. There's actually seven in my opinion. But there's six separate crowns that we can achieve while on earth. And so when we get to heaven, you won't be crownless. Looking for the crown pawn shop to buy a crown, you know. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that gal up there. Hey, can I borrow a couple crowns? You know, like. Now's the chance. And as Adam Durkin was preaching yesterday about the open door of opportunity, and he asked the guys, he said, guys, when we do mission trips, I think he used a stat like 80 or 90%, maybe higher. But 90% of the mission trips that he's done in his life have been leading women to the mission field. Women love to serve. Strong, skilled leaders. Women. And he just said, where are the dudes at? Dudes, let's do stuff. Step up. Step into the, into the fray. Let's get stuff done. Sunday school workers. I think it's like 80% of our Sunday school teachers are, are gals. And I love the gals. The gals teaching the kiddos. It makes sense. Okay. What about the guys? What, and don't worry about the person next to you. What, what about you? What are you doing while on earth for the Lord? Let me just, I'm going to teach this again next week because this is the way it's going to go. And I meant to go through the whole chapter today, but the power went out, so don't blame me. You who are note takers, write these things down and we'll study them out next week. These are the six crowns. And I'm a competitive guy. And so when I, when I see my life framed as a contest, it's a contest. Soon this life will pass and only things done for Christ will last. That's just the way it is. There's crown, there's, you can send forward treasure. You can sit on your blessed assurance your whole life, do nothing, <laughs> saved by grace. The Bible says there will be some who enter into heaven naked, smelling like smoke. Whoa! Oh, you know, what happened? Like, dude, how'd you get in here? Like, I don't know. Praise God, you made it. Good job. And there will be others, there will be others with doors opening up for them, opportunities. And when I look at my little life and what Christ has paid for my sins, and what the Holy Spirit now instructs me and says, Luke, don't miss it. Let me just give you these six crowns. We'll study them out next week. You can write them down. 1 Corinthians 9 talks about the crown of self-discipline. I just quoted it to you. Paul said, I discipline my body into submission. Lest after preaching to some, I myself be disqualified. That I might gain that crown. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 9 to say there's an imperishable crown. You know what he says in that, in that verse, 1 Corinthians 9? Paul says, do you not know that all runners run, but only one wins? Let me say it this way. You're all in a race, whether you like it or not. Okay? But not all you are, are winning. That's what he says. Because the way you're competing, the way you're going after the way you're checking your pulse and navigating your days, the way you're reading chapter 3 and chapter 2, the church, 
Maybe you're so focused on the rapture and just waiting for the Lord to come back and you're not worried about what's going to happen. Then you're so worried about then, but you're not worried about now. And Jesus says, don't worry about then. You worry about right now. Here's the second crown. I got to keep hustling. Second Timothy 4, 7. It's the crown of righteousness. This is the crown that is going to be given to those who loved his appearing, who lived differently because every single day you said, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day. Lord, would you come back today? And you lived that way. It'll change your life. We'll talk about that next week. James chapter 1, verse 12. This one is my favorite to consider, in my life at least. This is the crown of testing and temptation. James says, for those who are tested and tempted, if you resist that temptation and test as unto the Lord, you'll be given the crown. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you guys have battles every day to flesh out, get weird, to get small, get dumb? Wouldn't that be radical this week if you said, wait a minute, I'm going to get a crown right now, okay? If I decide not to say that, not to think that, not to look at that, not to do I'm going to resist. And I'm going to have immediate reward now because I didn't do stupid stuff. But there's a reward in heaven. The fourth crown is in 1 Peter 5, verse 4. It's the crown of leadership, those who lead others well. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, Philippians 4, 1. These are the same crown mentioned in two different places. And it's the crown of soul winning for those who lead others to Jesus. This is important for me or evangelist. The Bible says for every single person you impact for the kingdom and lead to Jesus, there'll be a crown waiting for you in heaven. And you get to throw it at Jesus' feet. And he gets to put it back on your head. And then you get to live differently. The last crown, at least that we can see in the scriptures, and there probably is more, is the crown of martyrdom. Revelation 2.10. Most of us in America won't have a physical death. But there are those Christians, you know there's Christians right now, they'll have their heads cut off today. I think it's on average anywhere from 11 to 15 Christians per day are, are um, executed. And sometimes that spikes depending on what's going on internationally. Just brutal. And Jesus says, yeah, I got a crown for those people. A special martyr crown. For you who won't have your head cut off later this week or at all in your life, there is an opportunity to deny yourself, though, and to die to self daily. I'm just going to live. I'm going to, even if it kills me. You ever done the right thing even if it kills you? Even if it just goes against everything? I'm so excited, guys. I got a busy week. I don't know how your week's going. I got some stuff to do. I got some crowns in my future this week. I got an opportunity right now, and so do you, to live my life differently this week. I'm going to have Ryan come up. He's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to take communion now. And we have the opportunity as a family of faith to say, Lord, so that means you got the rapture thing figured out, Lord. You don't need my opinion. You don't need me to tell you what scriptures I think. Like, you got it figured out, right, Lord? Yeah, I got it figured out. Okay. So what you want me to do, Jesus, is to focus on Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the letters to the churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and to Thyatira. And you want me not to compromise, to get into the word and to not find myself outside of bounds and to not have a dead religion. That's what you want me to focus on? Exactly. That's what I want you to focus on. Because in the moment... In the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed, raptured up to be met with the Lord. And until then, the Lord would have us to stay focused, to hear his knock, to be a part of what he wants us to do. You do not know how much longer you have. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray? Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that indeed you have ordered our steps, that Lord, you are in control of our lives. And that, God, we can trust you for all things. And, Lord, in Jesus' name, as we take communion, that is evidenced in your death, burial, and resurrection. That, Lord, you died on the cross, that you rose from the dead, that now you sit in heaven. And you extend the invitation to us to believe in you and to trust in you. 
And I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here, Lord, those watching online, those gathering tonight at the 6 p.m. service. Lord, for all you've done and all you're going to do, in Jesus' name, would you have your way in our lives? Forgive us all our sins. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, I've just been, I've been distracted. I've been distracted by lesser things, smaller things, sinful things. I don't want to do that. I want to run my race well. If that's you, no one's looking right now. Would you, would you just right now just raise up your hand? If you want to run your race better, you want to repent of sin and smallness, just raise up your hand and say, ah, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I've been forgiven. I'm going to heaven, but I'm not really living like it. Raise up your hand right now if you want to be hotter in your race toward the Lord. Lord, my hand is up as well in Jesus' name. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We ask God that you would make us that mature church. Lord, that loves you and loves others, that doesn't cast judgment on people. We don't have enough knowledge. We don't know what's going on. But instead, Lord, we want to be hot and bright and useful to you. Raise up your hand by act of worship. Just say, yeah, Lord, use me. Use me, Lord. Make me a crown getter, Lord. Make me one who's available to you. You can put your hands down. Father, I thank you again that this is seen and evidenced and paid for in Jesus and what he's done. And as we take communion... We examine ourselves and we proclaim your death until you return. We trust you for these things, Jesus. Bless us even as we worship you now. We do what we do. In Jesus' name, amen.